God is good all the time. Welcome to Christ Church. We had early church this morning and some folks came in and they said, we still don't have our electricity back on. And I thought for a moment, if my electricity was out, I would definitely come to church. We have air conditioning, coffee and stuff to eat for breakfast. I'm in. I'd probably stay here all day. Welcome. I'm so glad that you are here. I read that pastors and church staff are leaving vocational ministry at a brisk clip these days. I'm not talking about retirement or even early retirement. I'm just talking about people getting out of ministry altogether. And when I talk to discouraged leaders, the, the story is almost always the same. God saved them. They became active lay people and leaders in their church. They felt a call. They prepared for ministry. And they found a position somewhere. And then the years roll on. And so does the grind. Most feel that God has used them in some way. But to be honest, most of them feel like it's been disappointing. You throw in culture wars, no-win scenarios, COVID shutdowns, declining churches, denominational implosions, uh, the willingness for people to make personal attacks in ways they never have before. These folks just simply wake up one day and they just discover they got nothing left in the tank. And And I get it. As resilient as I am, and I'm as resilient as they come, God has blessed me beyond anything for which I could have hoped, but I've had seasons of discouragement. I've had rough stretches of highway. I've had times when doing what God called me to do just seemed too hard on the people around me. And the rewards seemed too few and defending the faith seemed to be costing too much. I've had times when I stood behind the pulpit and I was just straight up discouraged. Or I had anxiety or Anger, frustration, though normally not all on the same Sunday. I've had moments where I just wanted to take my call and go home. But I didn't. I bet many of you have been discouraged as well. Those of you who have been Christian leaders in some way and things don't go as you wished. I bet you've been discouraged as well. I just want you to know I I get it. But... What is it that keeps us praying and worshiping and giving and serving and witnessing even when discouragement and pushback and doubt sets in? What is it that keeps us just battling for the faith when it would be so much easier to just give up? What keeps us coming back when so many other people just walk away? What keeps us grounded and anchored when the storms of life just seem overwhelming. I think what keeps us grounded as Christian people in difficult times is an absolute reliance on the promises of God. Melissa has this big hoop. If you come to our cabin, uh, right as you enter, there's this great big arch. And it's made of metallic and plastic something. And there are plants that have grown up on it, vines that grow up on it, and They're very aggressive vines, and they kind of take it over, and then they try to attack you as you walk through. We do that to really cut down on visitors. And so (laughs) 
So during the storm last night, I guess the vines are now dense enough that it's a little bit of a sail. So during the storm, it just blew the whole thing down. I mean, it just, just blew the whole thing down. And I went to look at it this morning, and I thought, wow, there it is. And I thought, we probably should have anchored that. Right? I mean, we probably should have put some stakes in the ground and just anchored that thing down. And I guess if I get home and Melissa set it back up right again, I bet we will. If she hasn't, I'll, I know what I'm going to get to do this afternoon. So I thought that just wasn't very anchored. What is it that keeps us anchored in the storms? I want to suggest it is holding to the promises of God. But you can't hold to the promises of God if you don't know what the promises of God are. And that's a lot of the problem in the church today. You see, so many people in the American church, especially in the American mainline, have been raised and they're essentially biblically illiterate. Oh, they may have been taught to recycle and to be good people, but they've not been grounded in the word of God. You can't stand on promises if you don't know the promises. So what keeps us going? I think it's knowing that our Savior is our deliverer, that our empowerer is our sustainer, that the promise maker is also a promise keeper. Welcome back to Soul Salsa 2023. In Psalm 10, we learn that God can handle our hurt, our pain, and our disappointment. In Psalm 11, we discover that because God is our protector, we don't have to live in fear. Psalm 12 encouraged us not to give up because the wicked will be punished and the righteous will see God's face. And today we're going to trek through Psalm 13. I've got to tell you, my wife Melissa has been looking really forward to this chapter for three weeks because she only uses one Bible. And last year our dogs ate Psalm 10, 11, and 12 out of the Bible. She goes right from 9 to 13 because our dogs ate Psalm 10, 11, and 12. Someone asked me this morning, they said, which dog did it? I said, I'm not really sure, but one of our dogs is part boxer and they always look guilty. <laughs> they just always look guilty. Melissa's back on track. So are we. So let's look at our five definitions that are guiding us for this summer series. Number one, soul, the essence of every human being. Number two, salsa, an upbeat, exciting, dynamic, and attractive life. I just want to stop there a second. You will have no success in evangelism if you are not living an attractive life. Nobody's going to want what you got if they perceive, can I use an old Southern Illinois axiom, that you got nothing. Nobody's going to want that. Nobody wants nothing. They already got that. People are wanting something. Number three, church, an exciting place where lives are transformed. I like that. I mean, I, I feel like we should have a sign up that says, enter here at your own risk. Your life could be transformed today. You enter here at your own risk. Four, Christian, a disciple of Jesus Christ, filled with spirit, passion, creativity, and life. Number five, ministry, the heart-pounding, dynamic work we do as the physical presence of Jesus Christ. That is what we're shooting for. That's what we're shooting for. How do you get there? Psalm 13 was probably written from the deserts around the Dead Sea when David was living on the run and being pursued by King Saul. Uh, 
those of you that know Towns Van Zant songs, it was kind of like Poncho and Lefty. I mean, David is being chased all over the southern deserts by Saul. He's always on the run. He's living on the run. And in this song, David moves from frustration to prayer to a pure and unbridled hope that despite the confusion and the pain and the uncertainty that surrounds him, that God's promises can be trusted. That's the big thing I want you to take away today. God's promises can be trusted. Say it with me. God's promises can be trusted. Those of you online, say it with us. God's promises can be trusted. Verse one, how long will you look away from me? Forever? In the first two verses, how long is repeated four times. Lord, I've been praying forever and a day. How long? How long? Since there's no prayer for pardon or act of repentance, we have to deduce that whatever is causing David's anxiety, it's not self-inflicted. He's been anointed the next king of Israel, but at this moment, death at the hands of Saul looked far more likely than a coronation. I think this verse crystallizes a human struggle to maintain hope in the promises of God, even when those promises are not being delivered in any timely way. The story of Abraham is the story of a man who received a big promise from God. And then Abraham would say, Lord, how long? And then the Lord would give him a bigger promise. And then Abraham would say, Lord, how long? Now! And then God would give him an even bigger promise. But the promise was fulfilled, not on Abraham's schedule, but on God's. I remember the joy I felt at the realization that God had called me into ordained ministry. I was ready to get going. I was just ready to get going, but there were three years of seminary, a stack of paperwork, a series of interviews, a whole bunch of psychological evaluations, and a whole lot of needed experience that uh, stood between where I was and, and where I felt called to be. Seminary was not a great spiritual experience for me. And I remember just being in the throes of that, and it was taking a pretty serious toll on my faith. It really seemed like that almost every understanding that made faith easy for me as a layperson was now being either dismissed, challenged, or outright attacked. I went to seminary hoping to be stirred, and I must confess that I was shaken. And at times, I just felt like it would never end. And at times, I would pray, Lord, how long? How long do I got to go through this? Are you sure? Is this what you're asking me to do? Are you sure you're the same God that they're talking about here? Are, are you sure? How long? And then an epiphany arrived. God had not abandoned me at all. God was taking me through the purifying fires to prepare me in ways I would never have chosen. Sometimes when we go through the difficult times of life, God is preparing us in ways we never would have chosen. You see, I went to seminary with plenty of faith to get myself to heaven. But if I was going to take anybody with me, and if I was going to fulfill the call that God had placed on my life, I had some serious work to do. As I look back, 1989 through 1992 were tough years on my soul. 
But I developed an unshakable relationship with God that really paid off in 2019, 20, and 21. It took me not only through the flowering spring and the glorious fall, but that faith has also gotten me through the frigid winters and the blistering summers. I think we sometimes naively think that if we're following God, that things are going to be easy. If we were really hearing God, things are, would be easy. Jesus' prayer in the garden reminds us that the key to spiritual growth is not insisting on the easy way. It's not insisting on the fast track. It's faithfully walking the path to which God has called us. Realizing that we will reach our destination in God's time and not our own. Are you going through something difficult right now? Just stay faithful. Walk the path to which God has called you. Say, I don't feel like I'm very far along. That's really above your security clearance. All you need to do is be faithful to God. You will reach the path and the destination in God's time. Now he's got some very, very specific things. First of all, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Is there anybody here who wrestles with your thoughts? This represents this ongoing battle that we fight inside our own head in that battlefield of the mind. It's that battle that we fight with fear and doubt and anxiety and discouragement and temptation and tensions. I want to suggest that these will never be problems to be solved. You're never going to completely eradicate these things. Not in this world. You're not going to do it. But they are tensions to be managed. It really is the price that we pay of doing business in a fallen world. You're going to wrestle with your thoughts sometimes. There may even be periods of times you just straight up get lost inside your own head. But there is ultimate victory in the name of Jesus. There is victory in the name of Jesus. The second thing he asks is, how long will sorrow consume me? This consuming sorrow represents the battles that we fight with the effects of sin and death upon our lives. This includes sinful things that were done to us that weren't our fault. Sinful things that we've done to others. And just death itself. And it's not just physical death. There are deaths to friendships. There are deaths to marriages. There are deaths to health. There are deaths to careers. I mean, we are navigating death on a near constant basis throughout our life. And again, it's just part of the price we pay living in a fallen world. Loss is a part of living, but it sure isn't the best part. We'll always wrestle with sorrow in this world. But there is ultimate victory in the name of Jesus. And then he says, how long will my enemies prevail? How's that, man? I mean, David's just laying them out before God. Did you know God can handle your stuff? You hearing me? God can handle your stuff. Nobody else may be able to. You may have worn them out in 1996. But God can handle your stuff. Because he just keeps laying it out. He just keeps dishing it out. I got more. Lord, you like the last one? I got more. How long will my enemies prevail? This represents the reality that despite the fact we know God will ultimately win the war, it doesn't mean we're going to win every battle in this life. Standing 
for traditional Christian beliefs and values in 2023 is not for the faint of heart. But standing for God wasn't easy in David's time or in Jesus' time either. We've always been in a scrap with the devil in this fallen world. But there is ultimate victory in the name of Jesus. Verse 3, look my way, answer my prayer. Now we get a shift. David's kind of getting off the wambulance. And there's a shift. Look my way, answer my prayer. Prayers for what? Prayers for victory in his thought life. Prayers for comfort in his sorrow. Prayers for triumph over his enemies. Can I ask you a very straightforward question? Have you ever prayed for prayers over your thought life, for comfort for your sorrow, or ultimate triumph over your enemies? These are prayers that God asks us to pray. See, sometimes I think we don't pray the stuff the Bible asks us to pray. And we pray about stuff the Bible doesn't ask us over and over again. And what we really are doing is we're acting like God is some kind of DJ in the sky and we're a request line. The Bible tells us how to pray. So write this down. Pray about your thought life. Lord, I pray that you would just be in control of my thoughts. Lord, I pray you'd comfort me in my sorrow. And Lord, I pray for ultimate victory over my enemies. This brings a lot of self-awareness. I've discovered a hole in my leadership style of late. I have discovered that I'm often disappointed with people, but when I think about it, I'm often unclear in communicating my expectations. Does anybody get that? I get disappointed with somebody, but I wasn't clear that, of what I was looking for. So I guess I'm disappointed they couldn't read my mind? Well, that doesn't seem sane. So I've just really been working on this. Well, petitions to our prayers provide clarity in our communication with God. Knowing the promises of God provide clarity in God's communication with us. We need to know what it is we bring to God in prayer. We need to know what it is that God has promised to us. There needs to be communication. Finally, I want you to keep in mind, God will always answer your prayers, but sometimes he answers no. Sometimes he answers not yet. And sometimes he answers yes. But as Christian people, we have to be willing to take no for an answer. We have to be willing to take no for an answer. And then David says, put the light back in my eye or I'll die. The Hebrew axiom of light in the eye was an indication of joy, God's joy and blessing being upon a life. We, we have a similar axiom, a sparkle in your eye or a twinkle in your eye. Whatever the case is, David had it and then he didn't. Have you ever lost a twinkle in your eye? Have you ever just lost the joy of living? You know, Melissa is so much fun. Melissa, of all the people on the planet, she really likes ornery boys. Like little boys that have a twinkle in their eye, just got mischief written all over them. Melissa will say, that kid's awesome. That kid is awesome. You're sitting there thinking. <laughs> she loves it. I love people who got a twinkle in their eye. You know, I just, I love being around people that are, that just have a zest for life. 
that love God and are slightly unpredictable. Those are my favorite people in the whole world. I love those folks. They just got that twinkle in their eye. And David said, man, God, I used to have that back before life just steamrolled me. Can you give that back to me? Because if you don't, I'm going to slowly fade into irrelevance and death. So I'm going to give you something else to pray. You want something the Bible tells us to pray? Pray that the Lord will give you the joy of living back. Seriously. Pray that the Lord will give you the joy. Lord, put the twinkle back in my eye. Lord, give me the joy of living again. And you know what happens when you get that joy of living again? It'll drive out your critical spirit. It'll drive out the fact that you're just not satisfied with anything or anybody. Because there's no room for both of those things. Because we, we, so often we choke out the joy by the stuff that we invite in. And these things that, that consume us, the sorrow and the battles in our mind and people attacking us, it just drives the joy out. Pray that God will return to you the joy of your salvation. That's a prayer God wants to answer. And now he says, verse 4, don't let my enemies gloat at the prospect of my defeat. Have you ever stood firm and set your jaw for the sole purpose of not giving your detractors the satisfaction of knowing they're getting to you? We're reading Ezekiel in our walk through the Word. How many of you are reading the Old Testament with us right now? Yeah, we got a daily Bible reading thing. We're just finishing up the Bible. We've been on it for four years. We're reading Ezekiel right now. God has already punished Jerusalem for their sin. And guess what God does next? He's punishing all the countries that laughed at Jerusalem because they were being punished. The Bible says God will not be mocked. David said, don't let my enemies gloat at the prospect of my defeat. I think our temptation in this situation comes from our own life experience. You see, some of you have not been loved very well throughout your life. You've been loved conditionally. So when you met someone's expectation, they loved you. And when you didn't, they rejected you. So sometimes our own experience gets in the way of us really comprehending some verses in the Bible. So for some of you, when things have gotten bad for you, especially if the circumstance was self-inflicted, people have rejected you. They have run away. They've abandoned you. And it's not that you necessarily blame them. You, You probably wear yourself out from time to time. It's just that that's what you've come to expect from life. When things get tough, people run away. And I think our temptation can be to think that God... Is like that, but he isn't. He isn't like that at all. We are promised in this verse that God's love never runs out on us. Say that with me. God's love never runs out on us. Let's do it one more time. God's love never runs out on us. God isn't going to run away when things get tough, no matter what. You know, the promise that Jesus made us is not that life will always go well, And that the path will always be smooth and slightly downhill. The promise Jesus made us is I will never leave you and I'll never forsake you. That's the promise we've got. And then he says, I will rejoice for you have rescued me. 
As David feels the light removed from his eyes, as his impulse control is unraveling, as he feels like his enemies are gaining ground on him and the icy fingers of death are straight up coming for him, he rejoices in the salvation that God has not brought yet. He rejoices in the salvation that is still to come. I want to say to you, today may be filled with uncertainty and doubt and death and despair, but be assured that joy comes in the morning. God will turn our mourning into dancing. God will turn our tears into laughter. You keep doing the right things the right way. God will give you the right results in the right time. God's promises are the most real thing in the cosmos. They're infinitely more real than how you feel. They're intimately more real than what you're thinking. God's promises are the most real thing in the cosmos. David is teaching us the life-altering spiritual practice of rejoicing in a victory that is still to come. How can you do that? Because you know God's faithful. Some of you need to pray right now, Lord, I rejoice that I'm going to get over the things that are weighing on me right now. Lord, I rejoice that the sorrow that encapsulates me right now, that I am going to emerge from its grip. Lord, I rejoice that the confusion that I feel right now will not be with me forever. Lord, I rejoice in the victory that is about to come because I know you are not just a promise maker, you are a promise keeper. And then verse six. Forrest, I love this one. Verse six, I will sing for the Lord is good to me. When you realize how good God is, you just can't stop singing. The ultimate outcome of the battle between good and evil and life and death and heaven and hell has already been decided. The ultimate outcome has already been decided and it was a three-day war. It started when they hung Jesus on a cross and it was won when Jesus got up out of that grave. The victory has already been won. And Jesus lives. We can celebrate salvation though we live in the throes of a fallen world. Because Jesus lives, we can celebrate deliverance though our troubles still bear down upon us. Because Jesus lives, we can celebrate the second coming though we are still trapped in time and space. Because he lives, it changes everything. Bill Gaither understood this so well. When he wrote, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, yes, I know he holds a future. And life is worth a living just because he lives. You know, with each message in this series, I've been leading you in an acapella song. So I'm assuming you know what's coming, right? I mean, I'm assuming you know what's coming here. Last week... Melissa listened to my sermon and my song online. And she made a special request for this week after hearing it. So as our communion stewards come forward, we're going to sing the chorus of Because He Lives, even as I honor her request. Let's sing together. Because He Lives. I can face tomorrow 
Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Almighty God, I pray your blessing upon these gifts of bread and wine. Make them for us the body and blood of Christ that we might be Christ's body in this world redeemed by his blood. Forgive us of our sin. Forgive us for the things we should do that we don't and the things we shouldn't do that we do. And free us for joyful obedience through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, dear God, that your promises stand firm. Your promises are the most real thing in this cosmos. Your promises sustain us. We don't even feel like we have the strength to go on. Your promises give us hope for today and assure us that there'll be rejoicing for tomorrow. And now as we take of this gift of Christ, as we take of his body and as his blood, we are reminded of the price that was paid for our sin. We're reminded that Jesus didn't just lay in that tomb, he got out of that grave. And we are reminded that there is victory in the name of Jesus. We pray it in his strong name. Amen.